God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know how many of you are aware, but this is the last public teaching that Jesus gives before he goes to the cross. And since it's his last public address, I imagine these words uh, were meant to be heeded, don't you? Uh, and yet I've observed that these are some of the most discounted words ever spoken by Jesus. They are words that nobody really wants to hear for what he said. They'll hear other things, and uh, we've been talking about this. We talked about this last week. This is the beginning of a series that I'm calling Jesus Unfiltered. And last week we looked at the transfiguration. And as Jesus was up there on the mountain and he was transfigured and uh, Peter and James and John were there with them, all of a sudden our Heavenly Father spoke out of a cloud and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And somehow this stuck with John. It stuck with Peter. And you see this particular event mentioned in Peter's epistles and in John's epistles and in his gospel. They beheld his glory. But the one thing that the Heavenly Father says, and our Heavenly Father says, He says, this is my beloved Son, hear what He has to say. And then they went down the mountain, and it wasn't long after that, that uh, uh, first of all, Jesus asked, okay, who do the people say that I am? And He said, okay, some say you're Elijah, some say you do this, and, but who do you say that I am? And that's whenever Peter gave the great confession and he said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then right after that, Jesus tells his uh, uh, disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem, be persecuted and mistreated by the leaders and be crucified and die. And so Peter, the one who had said, thou art the Christ, thou art the son of the living God, says, no way, Jesus, you, you can't do that, and starts fussing at Jesus about what he says he has to do. And so what happened there is even though Peter believed that Jesus was the Messiah, he listened to Jesus through filters. And a lot of us have filters. Peter had filters in his heart and in his head that shaped what he was expecting the Messiah to be like. And these affected him so that instead of listening to the Messiah, he was trying to tell the Messiah what to do. And so uh, then uh, we, we move on. But uh, 
Actually, that happened before the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's almost like the Heavenly Father is saying, you need to listen to what my boy has to say. He underscores that. And so we, uh, we've looked at all these things and the fact that, that Peter had filters. And we have filters in our hearts and our heads that have uh, come from our past experiences, from our families, from our friends, from our teachers, from our preachers. Uh, just like Peter, we have concepts of Jesus and frameworks that we try to put Jesus in that are not from God. And so what I'm hoping that we can do in the next few weeks is just set aside our filters and uh, just listen to what the Lord has to say. Especially this morning, we need to be able to listen to and accept, to listen and receive what he says right here. Now, there are several filters that uh, I happen to see, uh, just, they just jumped into my head that I've known different people take these filters to this particular passage. One of the most popular ones is the, what I would call the social justice filter. Whenever we're talking about uh, the hungry, the poor, the naked, and those, uh, everybody says, okay, so the government needs to take care of the poor, and they need to feed the hungry, and they need to take care of all of these people. And so they get involved, in, uh, and all they start seeing here is the political issue. And that's not what's going on here at all. People who are looking at the Lord properly and hearing him properly, they're going to vote for those for ways that are going to be compassionate, no doubt about it. But this doesn't start here. This isn't talking just about at a governmental level. It's talking about us each individually. And how do we handle the poor that we come across every day? the hurting that we come across every day. So there's the social justice issue that can blind us to what the Lord wants us doing right where we are every day. Another filter that people take to this passage is universalism. Now universalism is the belief that nobody's gonna go to hell. Uh, universalism is that everybody's gonna get to go to heaven. You're not going to find that in Scripture. You do not find that in what Jesus is saying this morning. So take that filter away and hear what Jesus is saying. Another filter is the uh, filter of annihilationism. And that is the fact that, yeah, the good people, they get to go to heaven. The bad, when they die, they're just gone. They're just dead. And there are a lot of mean, ugly, horrible people that I know that take great comfort in that because they're going to be the dog that has his day right now. And when it's over, it's over. And so uh, annihilationism is another one of those filters that people take to this passage. 
And that's not what the Lord says. Another one is that Jesus was uh, just a man who was a great teacher. So, and if you look at him that way, then you can pick and choose, you know, what, what are the issues here? This is kind of when you get back to the social justice stuff, because you can pull that out of it and leave all the rest of the scary stuff. And especially those harsh, scary words, depart from me. I never knew you. But uh, Christian writer C.S. Lewis reminds us that we can't separate the teachings of Jesus from his astounding claims about himself. And just look at the claim that he makes as he begins this passage. There's going to come a day when the Son of Man is going to be sitting on his throne with his angels and all the nations are going to come before him. And he will, and the, the sheep will be separated from the, the, anyway, they will be separated just like separating sheep and goats. And uh, anyway, so he says, either uh, this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And it's obvious from reading this passage this morning in Matthew 25 that that's the case. There's another filter that we see that we could take here. And that's what I would call the grace filter. Works don't matter at all. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do. You just come receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, get your ticket to heaven, and then just keep on living like the devil because you've been saved. You know, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Uh, the Bible does say, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can't brag about our salvation. It's true that works do not save you. It's Jesus' work on the cross that saves you. But apparently, according to what we see Jesus saying here, what you do matters a great deal. Good works are not the purchase of our salvation, but they are the proof of someone who has received salvation. They are not the means or the method to salvation, but they are the manifestation of salvation. And that's why Jesus can lay this out as a criteria as to where we will spend eternity. I like what uh, a young pastor named J.D. Greer says about this. He says, there are two ways to tell what you believe. What your mouth says and what your life says. And one of them never lies. I really like that. Uh, all of these filters keep us from obeying our Heavenly Father and listening to what Jesus says and what Jesus is saying here 
is not a parable that we could just step back and analyze and pick things out of. It is a warning. The last teaching, public teaching that he gives is a warning. It is a statement of fact that we need to all hear and accept. And yet because of these filters, we wind up discounting God's word. And we wind up not taking this warning seriously. And we do need to heed it because this is what's going to happen. At the end of the day, we're going to stand before his glorious throne. And Jesus says that we will be sorted out just like uh, sheep are sorted out from the goats. One group, those who are depicted as sheep, will enter into eternal life. The other group, those who are depicted as goats, will go away to eternal punishment. With all the filters taken out of the way, we're left with the warning that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and already judged by how we have lived our lives. Have we lived as sheep or goats? Which one is it? Now the sheep and the goats were separated as we've seen by one criteria and it was how they treated the least of these. And here's the surprising uh, thing that I see in this account. The sheep didn't know that doing this was going to give them the reward. Think about this. The goats were goats because they were seeking their own reward. The sheep were sheep because they were simply loving everybody just because it's what the Lord has told us to do. First Corinthians, uh, we read this Friday, Hannah and Michael, uh, and, and we read about love. Uh, we were describing love, and I lifted one little thing out of there. Love does not insist on having its own way. And that is so important. Love is not self-centered. Love makes room for someone else in your life. And this is so important in every aspect of life as we're seeing this morning. Now see, once the goats find out uh, that uh, getting the reward, what the, getting, the, 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 getting the reward is all about doing things for the least of these, then they want to be able to label the least of these and start serving them. It's uh, like they want to go back and rectify the situation or at least be able to make their excuses or give their apologies. They realize that they have been on the wrong track. Why? Because why do they want to do the, fix this stuff? Because that's how you get the reward. And as soon as that becomes your motivation, you're a goat. You don't do this to avoid hell. You don't do this. I mean, I, I used to think that Christians were some of the most hypocritical people on the face of the earth because uh, they were supposed to be involved in a religion of love and selflessness. And yet it was based on total self-centeredness 
trying to avoid hell, trying to uh, avoid bad repercussions. To me, I saw that as a self-centered motive. I mean, it's it's a good inspiration, but I, I just saw it was ironic that people were trying to be good to keep from going to hell and they were being self-centered when they were trying to not be self-centered. Uh, so anyway, that just kind of really puzzled me. But then I discovered that I was looking at it all wrong. The thing is, they, in reality, it's just the opposite. We're born with our autopilot set headed straight to hell let's face it we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and god saves us from our self-centeredness so that we can love it's not about getting a reward it's about being lovingly spared eternal punishment and being freed to really love, to really love God and to really love people around us in an unselfish way. So the big question today at this point is, am I a sheep or am I a goat? Now let me help you with that just a little bit. Jesus was asked at one point earlier uh, what the greatest commandment was. Do you remember his reply? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he immediately tacked this on it. And the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That wasn't just a platitude that he put out there. It was the essence of the Christian faith. Loving God with everything that you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. If you're loving God and neighbor like this, you're a sheep. You can't help but be a sheep. You'll be listening to the Lord You'll be trying to please him. You'll be delighting in his goodness. You'll be receiving gladly the new life that he has offered to you through his son and receiving abundant life through him. He will be your God and you will be one of his people. You'll be his sheep. As I was thinking about this, how it says all, it doesn't say some. It says all, and that really hit me last night as I was thinking about this. There are a lot of times whenever we want to give and love God out of the overflow. You ever thought about that? Uh, when I, you know, like, like, okay, when I get my house in order, then I can start being a good Christian. When uh, I win the lottery, then I can start being a generous Christian. When I feel better, then I can start living a Christian life. Now this includes our strength. Whenever we're feeling weak, we're prone to think, 
whenever I get stronger, I'm going to serve the Lord. But you see, in our weakness, when we're tired or we're hungry, uh, if we're not careful, we're going to put God over to the side and we'll find ourselves in a bad mood and snapping at people. And we'll find, and we almost think we're entitled to be mean whenever we're not feeling good. And you know what? If you're loving the Lord your God with all your strength, with everything within you, there's no, you know, you, you're not exempt from that. Even when you're not feeling good or even when you don't feel like it, when what you feel like doing is biting somebody's head off and barking at them to get back, you know, that's not what it's about. Now, I can remember experiencing this. I've shared, many of you have heard, the one, the one time, whatever, I, I was about to die. I was so weak. I couldn't even feed myself. I was just laying there in the hospital bed with an IV going. And uh, I was griping at God because uh, I'd seen the Lord heal people. I knew that he could do that. And, Lord, I'm supposed to be out taking care of other people. What am I doing here? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all, the only thing that kept coming to mind was in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Over and over again, I said, where did that come from? God, and I'd go back to it again. And all of a sudden it hit me. I was hearing the Lord and I wasn't obeying. And so I had to apologize to him. I had to repent. I said, Lord, I promised I was going to be the best. I mean, you called me to be just the best me uh, that I could be for you. And laying here in this hospital bed, I can't do much. I don't have much light left. But just help me let my little light shine laying here in this hospital bed. And all of a sudden, I had counseling session after counseling session. You can be a real good listener when you can hardly talk, you know. And uh, so, I mean, I had a nurse fighting cancer and she couldn't even go to church. I had a, a musician who was, uh, had discovered that her husband had been unfaithful to her. I had just a, a, a friend who had gotten crossways with his church and with his uh, bishop and, and with the district superintendent and everybody. And I was the only one that wasn't deserting him. I couldn't go anywhere. I was laying there in the bed, you know. So anyway, so there we where I was. But see, whenever I was willing to let just what little glimmer of light I had left shine for him, he used me in my weakness. And he will do the same for you. It's not part of your strength, not part of your mind. It's all of it. Every whit of it. <coughs> Sharon and I were talking about different ways that this pans out. Uh, <coughs> before we get to that, uh, so I learned it. And John Wesley is one of the best examples. Turn to number 60 in your hymnal. We're not going to sing this hymn, but I just want to show it to you. I was blessed at one point to get to go to 
Oxford and, and deliver a, a paper uh, at Oxford University. And while we were there, we slipped over in London to Wesley Chapel and we got to actually sit or stand in the room in with, where, where John Wesley passed away. I got to pray in his prayer room and it really brought this stuff alive. But the thing is, as John Wesley was laying on his deathbed, uh, Elizabeth Ritchie, the woman who was looking after John Wesley while he was uh, in his last days, uh, wrote that shortly before he died, he broke out in a manner which, considering his extreme weakness, astonished us all in these blessed words. And he sang, I'll praise my maker while I've breath. Look at the first line there. I'll praise my maker while I've breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall ne'er be past while life and thought and being last or immortality endures. Every line of this hymn is a line of faith. And John Wesley, with the little strength that he had left, you see, he served the Lord with it. He glorified the Lord with it. He broke out in a manner which, considering his extreme weakness, astonished us all with these blessed words, I'll praise my maker while I've breath. And during that night, Wesley tried to repeat the hymn, but he could only say, I'll praise, I'll praise. A few hours later, John Wesley passed into the Lord's presence. Now, we learn from the story of the Good Samaritan that your neighbor is any person you come into contact with that has a need. We learn this from the story of the Good Samaritan, and you know I'm not going to repeat the story for you. But you see, your neighbor isn't someone you go looking for. So much ministry is planned, and Jesus isn't talking about planned ministry. He's talking about the people you encounter. The good neighbor was the Samaritan. He was the, the neighbor. And uh, anyway, but the, the religious people that passed on by, they were about the Lord's business and didn't have time for him. But the thing is, your neighbor is the person that you come across in need. And so just think about this. Who does not have a need? Are any of you totally devoid of need this morning in some shape, form, or fashion. Have you ever thought about this? We all need a smile. We all need a kind word. Uh, we all need encouragement. We all need reassurance. And a whole lot of other things. Sherry and I were talking about this on the way in this morning. The preacher she was listening to was, it was like the same word of the Lord came from another in another way. Talking about 
Oh, you ever been around somebody that was in a bad mood? And what did it do to your mood? Did it put you in a good mood? No, it puts you in a bad mood, doesn't it? Anyway, but the thing is, is that we all can let our light shine. We can all minister to people around us. Being mean to the people next to you, being ugly to the people in your household, that's not treating your neighbor. That's not treating, see, your neighbors are the least of these. Whenever you're harsh to family members, when you're ugly to them, you're mistreating the least of these. They have a need and you're stomping all over their feelings and their emotions. And the thing is, and I'm, pe I'm preaching to myself, and I'm not just preaching to y'all today, I want you to know, this is stuff, I'm 74, but I'm still learning. Uh, your neighbor is your wife. Your neighbor is your husband. Your neighbor is your child. Your neighbor is your fellow church member. Your neighbor is that clerk at the checkout counter that just messed up and didn't get your change right. Your neighbor is that lady with the flat on the side of the road. It's that haggard person panhandling at the intersection. I remember when I, I mentioned that Sherry and I got to go to Oxford and we took a side trip to London and, and over into, uh, uh, well, we, anyway, we were on our way to Versailles. Uh, on this trip, I was looking for the Lord. I knew the Lord had made this possible and I didn't want to miss him. And so all the way along while we were on this trip, I was saying, Lord, where are you? And Europe was so devoid of anything not secular. I mean, even the churches were looked on as museums that they held sing songs in every now and then. It was sad and it was heavy. And I was just saying, Lord, where are you? Where are you? I want to see your presence here in Europe. And it seemed that the whole place was just dark. And then as we were on our way to see the Palace of Versailles, I spotted a ragged, dirty young man on the side of the road. He held up a sign and the sign was in, in, in uh, French. But for some reason, I could understand what it said. I guess it's because I lived too close to Louisiana for too long. <laughs> but I could understand and I could read this sign that was in French. And it said, I'm poor. I'm hungry. Please help me. You know, we see homeless people on the side of the road. But this man had dirt on his face. He was the most uh, indigent looking person I think I've ever seen standing there with that sign. As our bus full of tourists rolled on by this young man, the Lord said, Joel, there I am.
that's me. I'd been looking in the wrong places. All of a sudden, I began to see the least of these that the Lord mentions here in this passage. I began to see them all around me. I'd been looking really for enthusiasm instead of for Him. You see, if you love the Lord and you love your neighbor, you're His. You're His sheep. If you're self-centered, if you're self-seeking, if you're self-serving, you're a goat. It's that simple. And if you discover that you're a goat, I have good news for you. I mentioned at the beginning that this was the last public discourse that Jesus gave. His last public teaching. And here is the next verse that we hear following that teaching. And it's in uh, chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is to be betrayed and crucified. He's just made it clear that he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And at the end of the day, he will be seated on a throne of glory, judging all of humankind. And yet, after he has given us this warning, what's the next thing that he actually did? The next thing he does is he gives himself over to be crucified, to make a way for the very least of these, his brothers and sisters, to become sheep. That includes you and includes me. If you found that you're a goat, you don't have to stay a goat. That's the good news. You can repent from being a self-centered, mean, ugly goat. And you can become, in a moment, a sheep in the twinkling of an eye by just turning, heading toward him, saying, Lord, I've been heading the wrong direction. I'm sorry. And when he transforms you, all of a sudden, you're going to see the least of these. And when you see them, you're going to see him. And you're going to want to honor those who are His because He has honored you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, paying the ultimate price for you to be with Him. Mike Warnke tells a story in his own life uh, that pretty well sums all this up. He was in Navy boot camp and he was, uh, uh, it was the last days, and he had two uh, roommates who were strong Christians. And they kept doing everything that they could to tell him about the Lord. And he just kept barking at them and pushing them away. And finally, 
uh, right before uh, boot camp was wrapping up and they were starting to make preparations, one of his roommates came in and said, Mike, you're going to have to let me tell you about Jesus. And he had just had it at that time. And he just grabbed his roommate and he threw him across the room. He hid his face on the porcelain lavatory on the, in the, on the wall. His face, his head bounced off of it from the impact. His nose was just crushed. And he fell over on the floor. Blood was coming out of his nose. And he raised up. And he said, Mike, I've just got to tell you about Jesus. And he said, if you ever mention that name to me again, I'm going to slip into your room while you're asleep and I'm going to cut you open like a Christmas turkey. He said, Mike, I have to tell you. He said, why? He said, because I love you, Mike. And you have to know about Jesus. He said, you love me? You're laying there in a pool of blood from a broken nose that I gave you and you're saying that you love me? How can you love me? And he said, Mike, you just don't know what love really is. And Mike Warnke said, okay, wise guy, what's love? And he wiped blood off his mouth and he held out his hand. He said, Mike, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ bled and died, shed his blood on a cross for you because he loved you. And Mike, if you're good enough for Jesus, you're good enough for me. Mike said after that, he didn't have many arguments. And later, he confesses that he knelt down in a uh, mop closet. And all he could say is, God, make me like those two guys. The thing is, once you come to know him, once you come to know him, then all of a sudden you see that everybody is loved by him, even those who haven't come to know it yet. And all of a sudden, in remembering what you were spared from, you want them to be spared too, be it your children, be it uh, uh, your parents, you don't be it a, a friend. You're going to see that they were loved by Jesus. And he wants them to be his sheep as well. So, how are you doing? Just think it hit me again. Uh, whenever some people wake up, I, I saw this thing about... Uh, uh, Sometimes I wake up grumpy, and sometimes I just let her sleep. But uh, the thing in the morning. But uh, the thing is, is that some people. This is just it. With all your heart, 
People wake up. And some people are mean when they wake up. That's not permissible, people. I just hate to tell you this. It's okay to be quiet. I mean, you know, some of us aren't just early risers. But the thing is, there's never a time when you're not around the least of these. And when you're in the worst of moods, the least of those are around you. So I just want to encourage you this next week as you look around, just look around and every person that you see, and if it's a person that maybe even is getting ready to put you in a bad mood, think they're good enough for Jesus. They're good enough for me. If you're good enough for Jesus, you're good enough for me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, our hymn of invitation this morning is Freely, Freely. And as we sing, we're going to sing both verses of it. It's not all that long. Uh, number 389. If there are any of you who would like to join our church or receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to give you this opportunity to do so this morning. Would you come as we stand and sing verses, both verses of Freely, Freely. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name I come to you to share his love as he told me to. He said, freely, freely, you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name and because you believe, others will know that I live. All power is given in Jesus' name, in earth and heaven, in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I come to you to share his power as he told me to. He said, freely, freely, you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. And now as you go forth into this coming week, by the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of you, both now and forever. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> well, my name is...